Do you remember what, when we talked about last week about not buying it back? Like, what would be an example of that? Let's say, um, what would be a good example of that? Uh, Christy, can you think of one? Yes, you say you're going to do something and you change your mind. In the case of Jacob and Esau, Jacob, Esau gave Jacob the chance to buy it back, didn't he? When he was coming to meet Esau, he had separated his family and flocks into sections. And when, by the time he got to Esau, they hugged and he said, what, what do you mean by all this? He said, these are a gift for you, that these are from me. He goes, I don't need it. I'm, he goes, no, 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 no. So you'd say Jacob had the chance to buy it back, but he didn't. And how many times have we offered something to somebody and he said, no, 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 it's okay. No big deal. I, you don't have to do that. So, and then they gave us the chance to buy it back. And that, thereby they're testing our sincerity. So um, that's just one of the examples. We're going to continue with this thought. We have other examples in Scripture. And um, we're going to talk about one tonight that's um, I've thought a lot about over the years because I have a daughter named Ruth. Ruth was given the opportunity to buy it back. But we're going to start with Solomon because that's where we left off. Amen. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 15. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 15. This past uh, weekend, we had a great theology conference. We got a lot of great tidbits. Brother Harrelson was here on Sunday, and he said some great things. And then, um, but I was thinking as I was sitting there um, that I feel blessed to have been a part of um, the Apostolic Leadership Institute and Brother Readout in particular has given me a lot, a lot, a lot. He's given me a lot of information. Um, anytime I've asked a question, um, he goes in depth and gives very lengthy, detailed answers. And it's been a true blessing. And so... <clears throat> Um, I'm thankful for this lesson, redeeming our society, because this is the lesson that deals with uh, the seventh step. It's the seventh lesson, and it deals with our relationships with other people. And we talked about the importance of keeping your commitments, right? Letting your yay be yay and your nay be nay. We talked about that passage, the eight things, uh, was it uh, from Psalms 15, a couple, was it two weeks, last week or the week before? I think it was last week, the attributes of the unmovable, and one of those is that he sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. So 
I said I was going to do this. I'm going to do this. You keep your word. You keep your commitments. Even if somebody gives you the opportunity to buy it back, you keep your word. So, um, yeah, you do. You keep your word. <laughs> she wasn't saying no to me. I know that. I know you weren't saying no to me, Kaylee. I know. Yeah. So 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 15. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. So this was his request, to give your servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. The message on Sunday was about discernment. I don't know if you guys caught that. That was the message about on Sunday. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise. Kaylee, Kaylee, oh, Kaylee. Can you hear me? Kaylee? What do you think? What do you think discernment is, Kaylee? Oh, you don't know? Or you do know? Oh. Is it similar to the definition I just gave? Okay, okay. All right. Lo, I have given thee a wise understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if, there's that conditional word, if, thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my judgments or that my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. Now let's look at another verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. So Solomon had made a commitment here. And he was blessed. He made a commitment and he was blessed. And so now we're going to see Solomon's climb to the top. 
Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, it says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So he did get that wisdom from the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he said, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. And so let's look at the next chapter, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 10. And he writes, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water, to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, this guy did a lot of stuff, planted vineyards, pools, built houses. Just all kinds of stuff. He got servants, maidens. Had servants born in my house. That's like, wow. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle. Above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver, gold, peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers. He, got, he had singers going on. Men and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Isn't that amazing, Kaylee? Yeah, right? And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. So whatever he looked at and he desired, guess what? You and I, we're, we don't have the ability to do that, right? We see something we want. Sometimes we just don't have the finances to be able to purchase it. 
But Solomon, anything he looked at, that's it. I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Anything, I mean, a lot of us dream of things that we would do if we had a certain amount of money. Solomon, anything he wanted, anything he saw, anything he desired, he just got it. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. So here's Solomon. He's very blessed. He's tried everything. Tried everything. And anything that seemed interesting to him, he'd try it. So Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11, it says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Skipping down to verse 17. Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. There's another verse that I would like to share. It's found in Ecclesiastes. And this thing that Solomon did, he sought out to do. A number of years ago, when we were, I was putting together some papers for my children, there would be papers that had things for them to memorize. One of the things that Brother Harrelson asked on Sunday, who could name the 12 apostles? I had on that list the 12 apostles for them to memorize. I had the 12 tribes of Israel, and I wanted them to know who the mother was of each of the tribes because Jacob had two wives and a couple handmaids, and handmaids had four of the 12. And so I wanted them to be able to name them in order, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, you know, just write down the line. And, and so one of the things that I would look and I would find some scriptures I thought it would be, be very important for them. And in the end of Ecclesiastes, when you see Solomon has done all this thing, all these things, he's tried everything. He's taken his finances, anything he desired, he tried it. And he could say, I've tried everything under the sun, and it's all vanity, it's all vexation of spirit. But look at Ecclesiastes right towards the end. Um, right towards the end, in verse 13 of chapter 12, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So I think here's a guy that had the resources to try anything that he wanted to try. Anything that looked good, anything that looked interesting, he didn't hold back. He went for it. And he came to this conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes. And so I had my children memorize that verse. Do you guys remember that? The older ones might remember. It's been a number of years ago now. So true success is found in climbing the ladder. But 
not climbing up the ladder to rule, but rather climbing down the ladder to serve, lowering ourselves, humbling ourselves. It's really easy to get puffed up and try to seek position and power, but we need to climb down the ladder and humble ourselves and serve. So now we're getting to one of my favorite parts of this lesson, Ruth. Because I have a daughter named Ruth. And I wanted to have a daughter named Ruth. And that was my choice of a name because it was a good Bible name. And Ruth is a great story. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 6. This is a story of Ruth. This is a story of Naomi. Now, Naomi was married, and she had two sons. They left the land of Israel, and they went to Moab, which is on the other side of the Dead Sea. And so they were there. While they were there, her husband died. Then her two sons, they went and they got them a couple wives. One was Ruth. She was a Moabitess. And one was Orpah. She was a Moabitess. And time went by. As time went by, both of her sons died. And she's just left with her and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. And she's had, she's suffered loss. And now she just wants to go back to Israel. So we see Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Then she arose, this is Naomi, with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Verse 7. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. So, here's, that's the circumstance. Here's Naomi. She is heading back to the land of Judah. She's got her two daughter-in-laws with her, Ruth and Orpah. She's lost everything. She came to Moab, felt like she was full with a husband, two sons, and she left feeling empty, just two daughter-in-laws. Now, verse 8 says, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as he, ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So they said, we will go with you. And verse 11, Naomi's going to give them a chance to buy it back. They said, we're going to go with you. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? What's the point? Are you going to wait for me? Even if I did get married, right? 
Would you wait till that little baby was grown up and then that could be your husband? So just go back. Go back to Moab. Find you a husband. Have children. Have a family. Right? She said, verse 12, turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? So she's asking them. Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. So, verse 14 says, And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and guess what? She headed back. She didn't keep her commitment. She didn't, she bought it back. She allowed what Naomi said to convince her, yeah, that's, she's got a good point, and she's given me the opportunity. She's obviously not going to be bitter against me and mad at me or upset at me, but Ruth clave unto her. Ruth, if she would have thought about it, she, she had some reasons maybe where she could have gone back too. There's no chance of having a husband and being a mother and having children. It seems like God is against Naomi. I mean, she's lost her husband or two sons. Nothing seems to be going good for Naomi. Um, so <clears throat> Naomi was returning to the land of Israel. Was her land even going to be available for her to get back? Was she going to be able to find anything? So she had reason, but she didn't, right? Verse 15, she said, behold, this is Naomi said, behold, she's talking to Ruth. She says, Ruth, your sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee for whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. So when Naomi, verse 18, saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So, Ruth was determined. She said, no, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Uh, your people's going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. You know, the Moabites worshiped a God named Shamash. Maybe Ruth was growing, grew up worshiping this false God. Maybe Ruth was accustomed and knew about the darkness of the gods of Moab. And even Naomi encouraged her to go back, right? Even Naomi um, said in verse 15, Thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. She was even encouraging her to go back. 
But Ruth, she had this opportunity to buy it back, and she did not buy it back. She said, wherever you go, that's where I'm going. And your God, singular, is going to be my God. And where you die, that's where I'm going to die. Where you're buried, that's where, uh, that's, that's where I'm going to be buried. And so Naomi saw that she was steadfast. She was determined. And so she stopped arguing with her. She stopped saying anything. What was the results of that? We saw blessing, didn't we? We saw Ruth blessed. We saw Naomi blessed. We'll skip to chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 13. Naomi didn't have any more children, but there was a kinsman. There was a relative that was close. And they had rules in those days. They had laws uh, that if a woman, a young woman was to die, or not, not I'm sorry, she, her husband was to die, then that what would happen was the brother, the next brother would go in unto her to raise up a child for the dead brothers, for the dead brother. And if there was no brother, then it would go to the next nearest relative, a male relative. And so <clears throat> you know that Boaz was not the nearest kinsman. And so to make a long story short, they had gone before the gate, and that's where they would do, um, they would do their court there with the elders of the land sitting at the gate of the city. And so the near kinsman came and said, he bought it back. That near, the nearest kinsman bought it back because he said, here's the situation. Naomi's come back. She's got this land. And you're the nearest kinsman. He said, I'll take it. He goes, but remember now, not only just the land, but you're going to have to take this Ruth, the daughter of the deceased son, and you, you'll have to raise up a child um, in that other man's name in his stead and so he goes oh uh, no I, I take it back I don't want to mess up my inheritance and mar my inheritance my children no I'm not going to do that and so he took off the shoe and they made a commitment right there in the gate so Boaz was the next one in line and he took in verse 13 Boaz took Ruth she was his wife and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Now, verse 17, the second part of verse 17 tells us the name of that son. They called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Ruth was King David's grandma. That would have been Grandma Ruth. And so, no, I'm sorry. Jesse, it was David's great-grandma. It was Jesse's grandmother. We've talked about that before with our children, with Jesse, you know, and having Ruth in our family. We've got a Jesse and a Ruth. So that would have been David's great-grandmother and Jesse's grandmother. So we see this great blessing. Now, You've heard this before, most likely. Maybe some of you haven't. But when you read in Matthew and when you read in Luke, it, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, 
It wasn't normal for a woman to be mentioned in the genealogy. It would be Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, on back, right? Very seldom would there ever be a woman mentioned in the genealogy. But there are five women that are mentioned by name in Matthew's genealogy, not in Luke's. Anyone know who the five women are? In Matthew chapter 1, you have five women that are named. One is named Tamar. She didn't really have the greatest reputation, did she? I mean, she had a relationship with her father-in-law because her father-in-law wasn't given the next son to her. And she wanted to raise up some boys. And her father-in-law was Judah. Right? She was married to Judah's sons, one of Judah's sons. So, um, that wasn't the greatest thing. So, she posed as someone. She was mistaken by Judah. He thought she was a prostitute. And then he actually got her pregnant and didn't know it was his daughter-in-law. Then you have, in verse 5, you have Rahab. Well, she really was a prostitute in Jericho. And she was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Then you have also, in verse 5, Ruth. And she was a Moabitess. Look at all these women so far that are named. The only women that are named. Actually, only four by name. There's another woman that's mentioned, but her name is not mentioned. And that's in verse 6. It is referring to Bathsheba, but it doesn't actually give her name. It says her that had been the wife of Urias. And what's the fifth one? Anyone know who the fifth woman was? Mary in verse 16. So those are their five women. So Ruth was one of these ladies that are mentioned by name. And Ruth, she had an opportunity to buy it back. And what's one of the things that the, the, the women told Naomi concerning Ruth at the end of Ruth chapter 4? When she, after she bore the baby, she had the baby Boaz, what is, what, what is one of the things that these women told Naomi concerning Ruth? Anyone remember? What do you, what do you see, sister? Better to thee than seven sons. That's what they told Naomi concerning Ruth. You remember when Naomi came back to Israel? She said something to everyone. They said, Naomi's back. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because I'm bitter. Naomi is pleasant. It means pleasant. But she was bitter. So life had really... 
been hard on Naomi, but the Lord had blessed Naomi with Ruth. She would not buy it back. A little story about that is when we were going through this situation with Ruth in the court case, my wife's really good friend, um, when Ruth was taken from us, she called her and said, I was just teaching a Bible uh, Sunday school lesson to the children about Ruth. And Ruth, how loyal she was. And so um, we have our baby Ruth. And when my daughter Ruth was born, I handed out baby Ruth candy bars to everyone. Instead of, you know, not cigars, but baby Ruth candy bars. And so um, she had that opportunity to buy it back. Notice Ruth. She's mentioned in the New Testament. But the one who did buy it back, Orpah, you never hear her name mentioned again. I read a book by... time do I have? I read a book by, um, I want to say it's Brother Tenney's son. I have it at the house. It's a fictional book about Ruth. It's, it, it's this story. It's a, you know, he puts his, you know, it's, it's a book that's about Ruth and it goes into a little bit of history and it really got me thinking about what Ruth left in Moab. It really got me thinking about the darkness that was there in Moab, the false gods, and whatever Ruth may have experienced in while she was there in Moab, you know, because it's a fictional story, so you have to read between the lines. And so he did. He read between lines and came up with this story about Ruth and Orpah and Orpah going back and, you know, that pressure that Ruth may have felt. But Ruth did not give in because there was something. Why did Ruth stay? Why would Ruth want to stay? There wasn't really any hope. Was there that she could have a husband? And so um, maybe it was something that Ruth saw concerning the God of Israel. We don't know. It doesn't really say. But, you know, it's kind of fun to speculate. Kind of makes you wonder. But uh, Ruth, she didn't buy it back. There's another story. Oh, man, I don't think I have enough time to go through this one. Um, yeah, this one will take several pages to get through. But I'll just tell you what it is in advance. and We can pick up with it next time. But you remember the young prophet and the old prophet. Do you guys remember that? We've talked about, uh, there's another example that comes to mind, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts when he was going to go to Jerusalem and even the prophet prophesied and said, whoever's girdle this is is going to be bound. And, and Paul's like, okay, guys, stop. Appreciate it and all, but stop trying to tell me not to go. I'm going to go. I've committed to this. He's, he didn't buy it back. So, um, he that sweareth to his own hurt 
and changeth not. Even knowing what the prophets prophesied, you're going to be bound. You go in the back, you're going to be bound, and they're trying to dissuade him, but he would not be dissuaded. So don't buy it back. Keep your commitments. Do everything in your power to keep your commitments. That's basically what this section is about. But we'll talk about um, even when it comes from the Lord. Even when the Lord, his word says something specifically. And maybe you have a man of God that says, hey, it's okay. And you're like, I can't do that. The scripture's very plain. The scripture's very clear. Well, pastor, the preacher, the prophet, they said, but God's word said, I can't. I've committed to this. I can't go back. And so we have to learn to keep our commitments. So I'm going to put the put this right here. And today's date is what? The 28th? 628. Um, there's some interesting things that I was studying um, because I like to uh, take, and go, when I go through the notes, I like to highlight and make pen marks and make my own notes on the side. But um, sometimes in reading through and then just looking some things up, there's some interesting things concerning this lesson. All, anything, any principle in Scripture, if we can learn to apply those principles... They're very powerful principles in our life. They're very powerful principles. It's like when my wife and I, our house was going to go to for, into foreclosure. And they sent a notice of default. And they said... Um, it's going into auction on this such a date if you don't take care of this by this date. It's like 15 days. So I tried to call, see if I can make a partial payment, part of a pay They wouldn't allow it. And I said, I'm doing a withdrawal on my um, retirement, but the check won't be here till this date. And I Because they wouldn't let me pay part of it. They said it's all or nothing. And um, so I said, um, I... I've got this retirement thing that I've cashed in on and it won't be here till this date, which happened to be after the, um, the date of the auction. And so I just, I didn't know what to do. And so we went to an attorney who specialized in bankruptcy. And I went to the attorney, I said, is there anything that we can do to stop the auction? I said, I don't want to declare bankruptcy and not pay my debts. Because the scripture says, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. I said, is there some kind of program, there's something that I can do where it just gives me, it postpones the auction date, gives me enough time to pay everything. Is there something? And he said, yeah, we can do this, this little uh, thing over here. And so he filled it all out, and I'm like, great. Well, it did. It postponed the auction. And as I got to reading it later on, it was a, one of a different chapter of bankruptcy, and I, was I called him on the phone. I said, I didn't want to do 
I want to pay my debts. He said, well, <clears throat> tell me why again. And I told him why. And he said, well, I'm a Christian too. And, there's a, and he tried to tell me about the year of Jubilee and, you know, every seventh year, all that stuff, right? And I said, but these are things I committed to paying, so I want to make sure that I pay them. And so I, I don't feel comfortable going through with this. So we never did go through with that. We backed down because when you make a commitment you need to do everything in your power to keep that commitment. And there's been times when I, I've asked the Lord, I prayed, I said, Lord, I made this commitment, and I have no idea how I'm going to keep it. And if I don't keep it, that's not going to be a very good example for, uh, you know, a minister of your gospel. <laughs> and so the Lord has bailed me out a few times. But keep your commitments Keep your word. Do everything in your power to keep your word. Some people, they give their word so lightly, they don't think about it. And a lot of people that say they're going to do something, honestly, be honest with me. You know a lot of people that make commitments to you, and you walk away many times thinking they're, not, they're never going to do that. And you, you're usually right because you've had so many people say, hey, I'll be there, man, and they're not there. I mean, how many times growing up did I have invite friends to church said, yeah, I'll be there. They didn't come. I, in fact, I had one guy said, you bugged me so much about coming. If you would have just asked me one more time, I was determined to go. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> come on. I said, I got tired of begging you. So I said, you should come. Don't let that stop you. Come on, come on. He never did come. But, you know, you had, uh, you've had so many friends, you so many people that said they're going to do something. What about that one who says they're going to do something, and you know they'll do everything they can to do it, to keep their word? And so that's the kind of people we have to be. That's the biblical principle. Letting your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Oh, Christy, yeah, you can't believe her. Anything she says, yeah, she says she'll do it, but yeah, right. Right? You don't want that to be said. You want, oh, Christy said it, then it's going to happen. Right? E.F. Hutton said it, I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> Let it be said that we as the saints of God do everything in our power to keep our word. And there might be a situation like happened to my wife tonight where she's not able to finish delivering that DoorDash because the car stopped running. And so she got a, uh, to eat the delivery herself. Had to get towed home. <laughs> but keep your commitments. Keep your word. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. Do everything you can to be there. Uh, sometimes things might happen. Your car might break down. You might have to get towed. But do everything in your power to keep your word. That's an important principle if we all learned it. We would be a blessing and a light to this world. Because people are not used to people keeping their word anymore.
and to really meet someone who keeps their word, that's something. So, amen. All right. Brother Shran, would you pray in closing? Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus.